0: Welcome to Traveling Culturati, where we explore cultures and share travel news, travel tips, destinations, and travel chats. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Well, hey there, fellow Culturati. Javon Harley here, your host and travel pro for Traveling Culturati. The website, TravelingCulturati.com. Go ahead and check it out. Make sure you connect with me on social media. And don't forget to join that travel club. I know you want to come with me. Yes, you do. You want to come with me to Croatia? Small luxury cruise, only 17 cabins on board. Very celebratory as we're celebrating our 25th anniversary, as well as some other big, big milestone birthdays are coming up. So yeah, come celebrate with us. Well, in honor of Women's History Month, mother-daughter duo Sophie and Masejo Matsogi of JMT Tours are joining me on their relationship, working together, being mothers, and running a travel business in South Africa. We'll also have Javon's Travel Minute. And in the Culture Report, Fumzile Mazubuko will share her experience as a South African diplomat. But right now, I've got some travel news to get into. Travel Noir compiled a list of black music festivals that you may want to check out because the music festival season is coming up much sooner than you think. This year, just about everything is in full effect. Starting with Something in the Water, it's going to be held April 28th through April 30 in Virginia Beach. A creation of multi-talented producer and artist, Pharrell Williams, Something in the Water brings top acts the beach for a weekend of music and art. Something in the water announcements for this year are still under wraps, but if past lineups are any signal, then 2023 should be a very good year. In 2022, the festival moved to D.C. and saw performances from more than 40 acts. Some performances included Ashanti, Ja Rule, Chloe and Halle, Davido, Little Baby, or Lil Baby, (laughs) Snow, Allegra, Usher, and a whole lot more. So this year, Something in the Water will head back to its original home in Virginia Beach. The Broccoli City Festival, July 15 to July 16 in Washington, D.C. This year's lineup features performances from Lil Uzi Vert, Jasmine Sullivan, Brent Fayez, Glorilla, Chloe, and the City Girls. And the weekend's Battle of the Bands event will bring together D.C.'s own backyard band ucb tcb reaction band and others how about some dc Go? yeah the team behind broccoli city centers its works on creativity and community by building innovative experiences that intersect technology music art and social impact with two stages 40 artists and djs 50 brand vendors and 40 healthy food vendors there's something to keep everyone entertained There's Afropunk. The location and dates are to be announced. Afropunk took Brooklyn by storm with its namesake, cultural celebration and aesthetic in 2005. Last year, Afropunk brought together a stellar lineup, including The Roots, Burna Boy, Isaiah Rashad, Lucky Day, Freddie Gibbs, and some others. The dates and performances for this year have not been announced as of yet. So stay tuned and just look up Afropunk Festival then there's Afro Nation, June 28 to June 30 in Portugal. Afro Nation considers itself the world's biggest Afrobeats festival. Afro Nation fans usually touch down in Ghana every year for several days of epic beach concerts. However, this year Afro Nation is taking it on the road to Portugal in Portimão with a three-day lineup of chart-topping artists, hosts, and DJs. Some of the performances in Portugal include Burna Boy, WizKid, 50 Cent, DeVito, and Booba, Uncle Waffles, and more than 40 acts altogether. Essence Music Festival, June 29 through July 3 in New Orleans, Louisiana. Essence Fest is an annual celebration for hundreds of thousands of Black women and men seeking the best of the city's food, culture, and weekend of entertainment. It's the largest African-American culture and music event in the United States. So Essence Fest continues to grow, and you certainly don't want to miss it this year. They have not released the lineup. However, there are some buzzing conversations about a celebration for the 50th anniversary of hip-hop there's a lot of celebrations for that one music festival dates to be announced will take place in atlanta georgia it's the largest multi-day music festival for hip-hop artists across the country now in its 13th year one music festival brings together more than fifty thousand people to attend a weekend filled with outdoor concerts in atlanta's central park the date and artist lineup announcements are still to come for 2023 however one music festival always puts on a great show for the South and certainly a lot of great music. Afro Future will be December 2023 in Accra, Ghana. Afro Future Fest, the overwhelmingly Successful festival may have a new name, but it still has the same Afrobeat vibes. One of the largest events to take place in Ghana throughout the year, thousands of people come to Accra for the holidays to attend Afrofuture, formerly Afrobeats. Over the span of two weeks, Afrofuture hosts dozens of events ranging from its flagship festival to art and fashion from across the African diaspora. So stay tuned for the lineup there, but again, you can go to Afro Future for more information. Looking forward to that list of great music festivals, especially celebrating African-American and black music, not only here in the United States, but in other destinations too. Well, UPS has a new initiative, RFID, and they're going to expand it to the rest of the United States network in 2023. UPS plans to deploy its smart package initiative throughout the rest of its U.S. network this year after its initial success at select facilities in 2022, according to CEO Carol Tome. The initiative involves placing RFID tags on packages and wearable devices on employees to eliminate manual scans. This will reduce misloads and accelerate parcel throughout its delivery and its warehouses. 100 UPS facilities are currently participating. The company plans to invest $140 million in the initiative in 2023 as it implements the technology at its 940 remaining U.S. buildings. The smart package program aims to improve the customer experience by slashing the rate of packages placed in wrong delivery vehicles. UPS looks to reduce the frequency of misloads from 1 in 400 to 1 in 800 through this initiative with the potential for improvements beyond that. Some facilities are already seeing reduced misload rates beyond what Newman has outlined. Misloads are now 1 in 1,000 at 50 of the buildings where the initiative is active. CFO Brian Newman has also said that the use of RFID tags, RFID tags, and wearable devices will eliminate 20 million manual scans daily. The carrier is one of many companies leveraging RFID tags in warehouse operations as the technology improves and becomes less expensive. So, we'll get our UPS packages. We'll get them in a more timely fashion and we'll be able to track them a lot more efficiently. Ever wonder what are the weirdest requests that flight attendants have gotten on planes? And I'm sure there are a whole lot of them. (laughs) There was an article written recently that lists some of the most weirdest or ridiculous requests that flight attendants have reported being asked. One is a parachute. One of the craziest requests this particular flight attendant said that they received was a passenger who asked for a parachute mid-flight in case of emergency. Fried Chicken, a retired flight attendant with 22 years of experience on major airlines, once had a famous passenger make an unusual request. Gary Coleman, rest in peace, politely asked if he could fry his chicken. He liked it very crispy, but unfortunately, the galley, that is the kitchen on a plane, only has so many capabilities, and frying is not one of them. A cup of water for a falcon. A cadet from the Air Force Academy walked on board with a falcon on her arm, the school's mascot, and then proceeded to ask if they could have a cup of water for the falcon. <laughs> A hotel transfer, a flight attendant's domain is really just the airline cabin or the airplane cabin. But yes, a family once asked this flight attendant to organize transportation to their final hotel destination. This is a former flight attendant of seven years. So yeah, they're not personal assistants and they won't be able to help you with transfers once you land. Actually, once you're off the plane, you're no longer their responsibility. Well, how about a sushi burrito? One of the most common requests is for additional food and drink, but one in particular, a passenger asked if they could make them a sushi burrito. Certainly very strange and specific. How about cat and mouse? (laughs) One of the weirdest requests was from a family who requested that they bring them a live cat and a bag of live mice for their daughter. And then space for a snake, certainly one of the craziest. A flight attendant encountered from Vancouver to Toronto. Passenger had a pet snake in an aquarium and asked if he could bring it on the flight as his carry-on. Raw fish to be cooked on board. The galleys are kind of all predetermined so they can heat up something, but they can't cook it for you or prepare it for you. But another strange request that was encountered from traveling from Toronto to Phoenix... The passenger asked if he could bring a fish on board and have it cooked in the galley during the flight. That's against rules as well. A chicken to lay fresh eggs for breakfast. Well, I think that one takes the cake. (laughs) Passenger asked if he could bring a live chicken on board to have fresh eggs for his breakfast. (laughs) No, just no. <laughs> noise reduction. Now, that's not such an odd request. We would certainly like that. But this particular passenger asked if the noise of the aircraft can be lowered because he couldn't sleep. This was on an Air New Zealand in-flight service manager that mentioned this. Newer aircraft are certainly designed to be a bit quieter, but you know, there's just nothing they can do about the noise that comes with an airplane flying. <laughs> I just never think to ask these questions, but they are all kind of hilarious. And you just wonder what makes someone think they can ask those things. 12 things that you can get for free on a cruise ship. You know, the cruise lines and cruise ships as of late have been increasing fees, especially since they were on a two, almost three year hiatus, but they've been increasing fees like for extra meal services or specialty meals. Just so many plus plus pluses. Well. If you want to know how you can get some free things I came upon this list of the things that are still free on board a cruise ship one is you can ask for an extra main course the meals that are included you can ask for an extra main course so let's say if the servings or portions were just too small for you and you're still hungry and like, I want two of those you can ask for it just make sure that you do so when you sit down don't wait till you finish and then ask for another Free raffle tickets to the spa on embarkation day. You know, a lot of times when you're on board, they are doing a lot of different things to promote participation. And raffles is one of them. So it could be a way that you could get a free raffle ticket and you may win a treatment at a spa. Prizes for participating in games. You know, they have games all the time similar to the game shows, for example, like Family Feud or Scavenger Hunt or Love and Marriage, those kinds of things, participating in them. Now, I typically like to just watch because they're funny, but if you want to participate, you can often win some prizes. Well, that's all I've got for travel news, and when I come back... We'll have mother-daughter duo, Sophie and Masejo Matsogi, they're going to share with us what it's like to have a travel business in South Africa working together and their overall relationship as mother-daughter. You don't want to miss that. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Make sure you head on over to the website. It's TravelingCulturati.com and make sure you join that travel club.
1: And now, Javon's Travel Minute.
0: Ever think about relocating to another country? How about if they paid you to live there? Why would a destination pay you to live there in their city or their town? It could be for a variety of reasons, like, an aging population, a dwindling population, or they're seeking a certain talent to just name a few reasons. For example, these three countries will literally pay you to move abroad. The first place is in Alabinen, Switzerland. They will pay a family of four up to 50,000 euro because they have a declining population. Then there's also Presice. Italy. They will pay up to $25,000 because they have an aging population. The final place that I'm talking about today is the Greek island of Antikythera. This beautiful island currently has about 50 people living there. So if you decide to move there, they will give you a house, a piece of land, and about $500 a month for three years because they need people. There are also small towns in the United States offering some incentives to move there. If you don't believe me, just go to your search and put in places that will pay you to move there. You can add the year, for example, if you wanna move there right now. You can also add the country or just say internationally if you're looking for international or you can specify the United States. Yeah, go ahead and check it out. So if you're in the market of moving, you may just wanna move to a place that's going to incentivize you to move there. This is Javon, and that was your Travel Minute. As you know, March is Women's History Month, and we're celebrating women. And today I get the opportunity to chat with two beautiful women that I've known for a very long time, and you're going to discover that in our conversation. Mother and daughter duo, owners and operators of JMT Tours, a tour company in South Africa, And when I tell you they are, I'm going to go back in time and use a word that you probably haven't heard in a long time. They're the bomb diggity of tour operators in South Africa. I have to tell you that. I am chatting with Sophie and Masejo Matsogi. Well, good morning, ladies, and welcome to Traveling Culturati. Good morning. Good morning, morning, Jolande. Well, again, I want to go back to how long we've known each other. Masejo and I were talking as we were waiting for you, Sophie, that she was a little girl when I met her, <laughs> and now she's a grown woman, but in my mind, I still see her. I still have the picture in my mind of the little girl, <laughs> uh, yeah. but it has been amazing to work with both of you, and I really wanted to honor you during Women's History Month. So I want to ask this question of each of you, but Sophie, I want to start with you.
1: How was it growing up in Soweto? It was amazing. It was Mind-blowing. We grew up as a community. I grew up in a big family. We were eight children, however, seven left, and I was the second youngest. So we were spoiled. Our our parents were not uh, educated, but they learned to provide for us. They could afford the seven of us. So it it was really great growing in Soweto. I miss that uh, community lifestyle that we grew up in. I think oh, yeah. it, was, it was a, grow, a, a nice grow, a growing
0: up. And that's so good to hear. And when you talk about community, it's so, so, so important. Even when the means are meager, when the community and the family support is there, you don't even notice it as a child. I know I didn't growing up. You were also part of the 76 being in South Africa during that time, a very troubling time. How was that growing up as a little girl?
1: It was horrific. It was horrific. We experienced all of it. The harassment, the arresting of uh, elder people at that time when they did not have their IDs at that time uh, called passbooks in their possession. When you went to a shop, you had to carry that. When you went to your neighbor, you had to carry that because if those policemen could come across you going to your neighbor without that, you would be thrown into the back of a pickup van and taken to the police station. I was born and bred in Soweto. So, you know, from a very young age when we became aware of it, maybe let me say from around nine, 10, we started experiencing that because now our eyes were opening. We heard the name of Mandela and uh, we were prohibited from even mentioning the name. So that's when we became aware of it until uh, high school when we were conscientized. I see.
0: And Masejo, same question to you. How was it growing up in Soweto? Completely different time. Yeah,
2: Yeah, I suppose there were some moments of similarity as we were growing up. But firstly, I mean, I was born in the 80s. So when you say the bomb diggity, I get it because the 90s were high time. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, with my mom coming from such a big family and my dad's side of the family, what we generally are is, you know, we operate in an extended family kind of setting. So we spent, and and, and it's weird, and I don't know if it's similar where you are, but we tend to gravitate towards the mom's side of the family. So we spent a lot of time with our cousins at my mom's home, as much as, my mom, my dad, and my two siblings, whom I know you are aware of as well and are fair with, who we had our own home. A lot of our time was spent with extended family, you know, we're in for the 10 year olds to spend, it's kind of set on one dish and you kind of put in your hands and eat together. So certainly a big sense of community and family. But, you know, throwing back to what my mom was talking about, born in the 80s, there was a state of emergency in 1988. You know, I think I was vaguely aware of what was going on around me at that time. I remember having to leave school through a window because the people were rioting outside. and you know, I think if I were to smell the smell of tear gas today, I'd be able to recognize it for what it is because it still was quite right. The energy and obviously Mandela being released the year he was, there was that experience. But I think my experience had a duality of great and that somberness that kind of led us to a South Africa that we know today. So in short, I'd say it was very interesting, but it's shaped a lot of my ways of viewing life and taking in life and operating in the day that we are in what is known to be a new South Africa, if I can call it that.
0: Oh, absolutely. So you were there during the lingering effects. And then, of course, the changes. My first visit to South Africa was in 98. And then I brought my first group in 99. And then I believe it was two or three years after that, maybe 2001 or 2002, we started working with JMT Tours. And we've been working with you ever since. So again, the electric vibe of what was happening and what was changing the new South Africa was happening during that time as well. And I've seen tourism grow exponentially since then, especially still honoring Soweto and the other parts of South Africa so that we're not looking at it through one lens. So I really appreciate JMT Tours for sharing that with us and sharing that with our travelers that have come over so that we are getting a broader story. So, Sophie, what were your aspirations as a little girl? What was it that you wanted to be when you grew up?
1: Growing up, the most common professions when we grew up, it was teaching and nursing. So I was set to be a nurse until after I completed my matric, and my dad said, no ways, you're going to do that. It's not made for our family. So that changed the whole perspective and the direction. So at that point, I diverted and uh, went to university to study social work. But due to financial constraints, because there were uh, riots at that time, during that year when I started university, that was in 1977, we had to be returned home several times because, you know, there would be uprisings. I went to the University of the North, which is known as TAPLU. So we would be expelled and went home back to Johannesburg, called back. It was those up and down. So, you know, it put financial constraints on the parents. So I could not continue after that. And then I had to find work, which I did in a commercial bank. I worked there until my late husband convinced me to join him in tourism, which I don't regret because it got to be my passion. I enjoy tourism. So it's totally different from what I had intended to do in my life. And I'm sure if tourism was popular at that time, I would have chosen it from the first time.
0: It's always amazing to hear people's stories and what they aspired to be when they were children and then what they became. And so many times we fall into those roles, but those are sometimes the best roles that we have. And certainly want to honor Joe Matsogi as well. And so he convinced you to get into travel and tourism.
1: (laughs) When did you and Joe meet? We met in a classroom in Metric in 1975, and it started until Death did us part. So we were 46 years together when uh, Joe passed on.
0: Oh, wow. And what grade was that?
1: We were in grade 12. We were actually together in that class from grade. At that time, it was known as standard. In actual fact, forms. So grade 12 was known as form 5 and grade 11 was known as form 4. So we met in form 4 but only came to fall in love in Form 5, which is grade 12 in and 1975.
0: Masejo. same question. What were your aspirations as a little girl? What were you thinking mm. of?
2: Yeah, I'll tell you that my parents probably thought I was crazy. If you know the setup in Soweto and how tightly built the houses are, you'll understand why there's a level of berserkness or craziness to, to the aspiration that I had. So I wanted a horse. And I was adamant that that's what I wanted and wanted to live by. But I think part of that was also wanting to be an on-stage artist. When I had a vision of what I wanted to do later in life, I literally had Brenda Fassie in my mind. This was at a much younger age, but as you go through school and you go through guidance lessons and they teach you about careers, I thought that I was going to go into mechanical engineering. What my mom hasn't told me was the fact that What her dad did to her is what my dad and her did to me. And it was not because mechanical engineering then was not a popular thing. If if anything, at school, we were encouraged to go into being into medicine or engineering, the STEM kind of subjects and career choices. But when I finished matric, I think, you know, sometimes people may know you better than you know yourself, especially at that age. And my parents at that time were up and coming, quite fluid and had a crowd around them that knew things that I didn't necessarily get to know in school. And so they recommended that I go for a visit at McCann Erickson, which I know is an American part of it. In fact, I went to the buildings out in New York the one day, but it was really to immerse me in the world of advertising. And eventually that's what I ended up studying. I went to college and I studied advertising and it's a career choice that I then made and worked myself up in the industry but at the same time, always working with my parents. And I think being in the marketing field and advertising field has also in parts helped the business, JMT Tours specifically, to raise a profile and help put the word out there about the kind of company it is and what it does. So in short, it was always creativity at a young age. And I think that was my true calling. It ended up not being on stage, but rather in the background and doing crazy creative things, which have also helped JMT Tours.
0: Which I'm proud product. Yes, so acting I'm guessing was your stage <laughs>
2: Oh, do you know Actually, I wanted to sing? I wanted to sing without a singing voice. So I'm glad that I was geared <laughs> away from that. <laughs> <You> no. <know? Yeah.
0: laughs> so from an equestrian to a singer, to yeah. a mechanical engineer, to advertising and marketing to now working with your mom in the family business and JMT tours. And I can see how certainly entertainment and advertising and marketing would really help in this lane.
2: Mm. Absolutely. You know, that's what a lot of people don't necessarily have, even to this day, the understanding of the goings on within that kind of business and how the machinations of it work. So I'm glad it's something that I can offer the business. And it's incredible because, yes, you're speaking to me and my mom, but we've got our sister, I've got my sister as well, who's into finances and my brother who actually does the tours himself. You know when we were speaking earlier, Javon, I was saying how incredibly amazing my mom has run this business even after my dad's passing, which is pretty recent. But still, they really made the soul of this business. But that, in fact, there's a group that I follow because they were. We can. It's really that you know they have built us to be these. You know, it sounds kind of crazy that I'm going to say people are building us, but these are parents who have done an incredible job of building such a formidable company, which has led to where it is. And I mean, what, 25 years on? And that we can add the value that we can is an honor and a privilege, quite honestly.
0: Well, and it's one of the reasons we have continued to work with JMT Tours. And it gives that community sense, the company itself, but the people behind the company having a family business. And from day one, we've always been communicating with Sophie and knowing that the role that she's playing so Joe was in the front. And so, Sophie, was that the lane that you wanted to be in to say, I want to handle the administration of the business and making sure, because the administration is the most important part of the business?
1: In actual fact, when I left the bank, I had trained already as a tourist guide and as a tour operator. So I started guiding then and doubling up with the admin. But because I had been in the bank for a long time, and I actually enjoyed admin and uh, I hated to see an admin that did not go according to what it was supposed to be. So I decided I'm going to handle my admin and seeing with other tour operator the unprofessionalism that was there, not answering emails, it pushed me to be on admin 100%. In the bank, we learned to say, you, you know, that you had to have to put limit to your response time. So that pushed me to, even before I left the bank, because my husband started a business I whilst I was still in the employ of the bank, I had to come back from work and do admin. But it used to eat me up during the day when I was at work and knowing that there was an email that was pending. So it really drove me to focus on admin and the responding time. It's the most
0: important because as you said, and the reason that you wanted to take care of that and to make sure that the administration part of the business was working properly is because you could be great out in the field. You can be great in front of everyone, but if it's not supported with the logistical part or the part that is connecting to the money and the people and responsive time and all of that, it's extremely important. And it goes hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. And that's where you lose business if you're not doing those things. So as I said, from day one, we've always communicated with you by email. We met Joe when we arrived, but we were communicating with you prior to that to get everything arranged. And we're still doing that today. What role are you in Masejo?
2: So as I mentioned, with my background, I generally do the marketing of the business and just general administration. What I do want to do, and it's a conversation I've had with my mom, is get onto the field because I think that's where the heart is. That's where we learn. And... I suppose, you know, with TK kind of carry that because I think there are so many stories to be told still about South Africa that can be told slightly different to how we are generally have, you know, with time and change of scenery. I believe that there is a different kind of story to be told. So in the short term, I'm still doing the marketing of the business, but long term, it's to be more ingrained in the business and actually being in field and telling true stories about South Africa and stories that will get people here and get to understand us as a people.
0: And that's really the role at heart. How has it been working together?
2: Look, I mean, I think it's got its pros and cons, but I think opportunity is rife to do amazing things and to brainstorm wild ideas and have the latitude to do that, to deliver on those because there's no bureaucracy that comes with that. I think coming from different generations will obviously have an impact on how we communicate, but I think with one goal in mind, we do try to see eye to eye. My mom talks about admin and how she's a stickler for that. And I'm learning, I will put it in a positive way, <laughs> manner, that she's a great tutor and teacher in that regard. So I think if anything, it's probably that, how quickly one responds to things that one I'm learning quite a lot from. And her coming from a bank background. It's also about the finances, making sure that the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. Yeah, I'd say most enjoyable, but it's got its challenges like any other business. But I think putting our best foot forward and knowing why are we doing this. For us, it's not just a livelihood. It's about telling the story of a country that we love so dearly. And I think we always arrive back at that. And there's slight challenges. I wouldn't say it's challenges that drive us to a wedge at any point. But yeah, generational differences certainly do come in place. Sometimes I want to say, use a certain kind of language on our social media pages and my mom will say, no, that's not how you do it. But we do find a middle ground because I think the train is moving and we want to move with it, even though we don't want to necessarily be wild
0: about it. Well, I just know, like the relationship with my mom, while it's not a professional relationship, I know the channels that we go through or how we view our mom, you know, when we're little girls, we revere them and they're these big people to us. And then we become teenagers and we think we know everything. (laughs) And we think we know much more than our mother knows. And then we come back when we get Older, and we really sit and listen, and then we realize how much our moms really know, and we go back to how awesome they are. So, I know in probably a professional dynamic, you run the course of all of those emotions as well. Completely, 100%. So, Sophie, how has the dynamic been having Masriho and some of your other children working with you?
1: It is actually uh, fulfilling. You can run the ideas to them uh, anytime you like. However, the challenge is that, you know, as a family, there is no limit that, you know, this is after work. We cannot talk work. You you talk work until you go to bed. So it is actually fulfilling to work together. Yes. And Jean and
0: I, you know, working together as well, we always say, okay, let's just have some personal time and not talk about business and we'll go to dinner. And then after about 20 minutes, we're talking business. It becomes hard to separate it all the time. So what has been the biggest challenge, would you say?
1: In working together?
0: Yes, in working together.
1: Not much really, except for lack of time limit. There hasn't been that much challenge. Maybe myself could say, but as far as it comes to my mind, I haven't experienced any big challenges. Mm-hmm. Maybe the arguments, you know, like when brainstorming, <laughs> ever, nothing much.
0: That's really good to know. And it's a learning process. And so welcoming, especially when you're talking about Social media, that has created a whole new lane in marketing, you know, the digital marketing space. (laughs) Certainly when we started our business, which was also 25 years ago, social media marketing and email marketing or even digital marketing wasn't really considered, you know, a thing, but now it's a thing of its own. So it must be great to have that next generation that understands social media a bit more than we do to come in and take care of that, especially one that has gone to school for advertising and marketing.
1: Definitely, definitely. It is of great help.
0: So what have you learned from Masejo in this process?
1: I have learned that I should not limit myself. She always wants to go big. We argue and eventually I condescend. And she's always pushing for me to think big and you know not limit myself or the company from growing. So... Those are the big lessons I have learned from my daughter.
0: That's a big lesson. And that's a beautiful lesson as well. Masekos, the same question. What have you learned from Sophie?
2: I mean, discipline, I'll say, Javon. When you go back to her introduction about where she comes from, you'll understand how important Africa is to her and my late dad
0: that's a really beautiful thing to say. Discipline and the love of what you do and the love of country. That's extremely, extremely powerful statement. So this may evoke some emotions here, but Sophie, what do you want for your daughter and granddaughter? Because I know you have the next generation as well, and especially as women. Okay.
1: What I wish for my daughters and my grandchildren it's for them to be independent, not to rely on anyone for their achievement. You build your own future, so they should not limit themselves. They should work as hard as they can, especially working for yourself. Nothing restricts you. So I wish for them not to be restricted, to grow as far as they want. The sky should be their limit. So basically, it's independence, growing to be an independent person.
0: Absolutely. Um, say how, how many children do you have? I've got a
2: busy four-year-old, a very busy four-year-old. And that's just one, one child.
0: One daughter. Yeah, one daughter. And what do you want for her? Ooh, Javon, coming
2: from the history that we've come from, and I know that the world still operates in a manly form, I want her to be confident in herself I want her to be knowledgeable and I want her to be able to do things and know that she can, even with the background she comes from. More than anything, I desire for her to have a voice and know her place and not knowing her place by finding herself in a box, but know that she is firmly rooted in this world. She can move as she will do what she can that is good and enhances her as a human being. Yeah, I just wish her greatness. I think I've had the privilege of being my parents' child and being exposed to so much. And that is important for me as well, to have exposure, go out there and fly and be fabulous and know that she has a strong back in her family and that she can be whatever she wants, she desires to be in the world. And not just in South Africa, but the world. Exposure, knowledge, And understand the world as well. That's what I desire for her.
0: Sophie and Masejo, it's been such an honor and a pleasure speaking with you today and sharing your stories with us. And I just want everyone to know JMT Tours is an awesome company. And we've said this throughout and you've heard us talk about our experiences in South Africa. And we would never come to Johannesburg or South Africa and not use JMT tours. And I'll go back to my other word, the bomb diggity. (laughs) And all of our travelers have always come back with rave reviews as well. So thank you for those wonderful experiences. Thank you for continuing and bringing in the next generation so that JMT tours is going to continue for the years to come. And we bring in the next generation with the experience and knowledge that we have of South Africa.
1: Thank you, Javon, for having us. And thank you for trusting us. We'll keep giving the best service that you know. Thank you so much. Thank you, Javon. This is Traveling
0: Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Make sure you head on over to the website, TravelingCulturati.com. And make sure you sign up for that travel club. Culture is forever changing and reflecting what's happening in the society and with its people. It can be born of music, arts, food, and sometimes politics and strife. This is the culture report and we're celebrating and honoring women's history month and joining me today is someone who's definitely worthy of being celebrated. Fumzile Mazubuko, Chief Director for Central and Eastern Europe, Nordic and Baltic countries in the Department of International Relations and Cooperation in South Africa. Hello, Fumzile, and welcome to Traveling Culturati.
3: Hello, Javon, and hello to your listeners. It's wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It is certainly my pleasure. And I
0: also want to add, formally, (laughs) Consul General for South Africa here in the Chicago office. And this is where we met and Yay. certainly staying connected, but now you're back in South Africa.
3: Yes. The city of Chicago will always be home away from home. Yes.
0: Well, you know, outside of the world, you know, we just say South African woman, but in South Africa, of course, there are nine different ethnic groups. So when you're in South Africa, do you refer more directly to your ethnicity?
3: You know, we have 11 official languages. Um, My ethnicity or maybe my cultural background is I'm Zulu. So I'm a Zulu-speaking young woman. But by orientation, I do consider myself purely just a South African woman. But because of our history and the way our society is structured, you're able to know where somebody comes from, basically just through their name and surname, and already you can place someone's origin and history and ethnicity. I see. Yeah, because when I go and I visit South Africa, I don't really think
0: of who is Zulu or who is Xhosa, or I don't think of it in those terms, but I just wanted to know yes. how it is locally, because, you know, who we are locally is very different sometimes of our forward face yes. to the world.
3: <laughs> yes. No. very true. And I think because also. It depends if you're coming from an urban or a rural area, because based on that, in urban areas, for instance, I'm from Soweto, which is an urban area. It's just a black township outside of Johannesburg, and mainly people there are cosmopolitan. There's lots of people from different areas of the country and people speak different languages. So you'll find that all 9-11 official languages are spoken within Soweto itself. So people, they know your background because of your name, but it's not such a big issue. But people coming from a more rural area, rural background, would even want to know what is your clan name, where do you come from, and those that are important. I see.
0: Now tell us a little bit more about your position in the Department of International Relations and Cooperation.
3: My position, I am working with the countries that are in Europe. So we always say that we look after the other Europe. So this is the Europe, not the Western part of Europe, but more the Eastern Europe and countries that are formerly part of the Soviet Union. Some of them, some of them are in the Nordic states in terms of the Balkan countries as well. So it's really um, interacting and managing relations between South Africa, and those countries. Most of those countries have embassies here in Pretoria. So I am basically the liaison for the embassies. And we also have our own embassies in some of those countries. And I basically also am the liaison for our embassies in those countries.
0: Okay. So is it more of just the kind of inner workings or is it more of a political position or is it more of a commercial business type of position with the connection of those countries?
3: So it's both. We manage South Africa's foreign policy relations with those countries. And part of our foreign policy is to put more trade and investments both ways between South Africa and those countries. And so we manage both the trade and foreign policy relations between the countries. And prior to that, as we mentioned earlier, you were here in
0: Chicago as the Consul General. Tell us a little bit about that role.
3: The Consul General role, I was basically the head of mission and the face of South Africa in Chicago. I represented South Africa in 14 states in the Midwest region of the United States and with the base in Chicago. And basically, the role was to identify opportunities for South Africa, especially trade and investment and commercial opportunities, but also to engage in people-to-people cooperation, encourage more tourism from the Midwest into South Africa. And we also were the office that was providing support to South Africans in the Midwest. They utilized our office to be able to get their own documents from home. So we provided a consular support for South Africans that are living in the Midwest region.
0: And you can be honest with me here. How big of a culture shock was it for you to move to Chicago for a bit?
3: (laughs) Oh, my word. So I was just actually telling one of the colleagues from Poland today that my first experience of snow was when I arrived in Chicago in January 2018, And just got my first experience of a very cold winter. And to see the first snow fall on the weekend, I think it was the Martin Luther Day long weekend in January. And my children and I had never seen snow before. We woke up in the morning and outside was just white. And there was no thunder. And we were surprised. How did this happen? Because we're used to thunderstorms back home in Johannesburg when it rains. You can hear the rumbling thunder and then you know to expect something big is coming. So the snow, it was just quiet. And the next morning we woke up and it was white and we just wanted to just throw ourselves on the cushy snow uh, and we yeah, need <laughs> to discover that it's freezing cold. <laughs> we could only last like five minutes, but it was just an amazing experience to experience snow for the first time with my three-year-old and seven-year-old at the time. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was super special.
0: Wow. And I remember going to South Africa uh, one time and I think it was maybe 65 degrees Fahrenheit. And I saw everyone walking around with these big coats on and I thought, why do they have on these big coats? So I can only imagine how cold it was for you here. <laughs> oh, no,
3: it was super cold. And I remember my colleagues saying to me, we need to go take you shopping for a proper coat. And I was like, "Yeah, I need one <laughs> and, <laughs> because and my South African coats were not good, exactly proper boots and coats because we were not prepared for the winter." And at the time, people were asking me, "So, what did you do in Pretoria to be sent to Chicago in January?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> the coldest month of the year
3: <laughs> the Coldest month of the year they couldn't have let you come in the summer
0: <laughs> at least allow you some time to acclimate and have the winter slowly approach you rather than no you jumped in the exactly. deep end <laughs> well kudos to you end. for jumping in the, but deep the wonderful
3: end. thing is but the wonderful thing is that at the time I couldn't imagine it getting warm. So when people would tell me, don't worry, it gets better. I was like, nah, I don't believe it. And when the summer came, it was like, what? <laughs> so this is why they were saying, what did I do in January? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, the summer is a beautiful time Amazing. in, <laughs> in yeah. Chicago. I have to ask, who was Fumzile as a young girl?
3: Oh, you know, I think as a young girl, Fumzile was a dreamer. I used to look up at the clouds and see a plane going and I'd ask myself, I wonder where is this plane going? And at the time, I grew up under the system of apartheid Um, Nelson Mandela was still incarcerated. I was in elementary school and he was released just as I entered high school. So I grew up during a time of transition, of change, um, of great hope but also of great pain because South Africa was going through a transition from an apartheid system, which was declared a crime against humanity. And at that time, you knew that as a young black girl, there's certain opportunities that you might never have in life. And by the grace of God, apartheid did end. And the life that we had grown up imagining was now possible. And so I grew up in Soweto, you know, hoping for a better future, but didn't know what that better future entailed. But my parents were very clear that the better future comes with an education. And as teachers, both my parents were teachers in Soweto and had seen the struggle of the black child wanting an equal education in a society where black children were just supposed to get the bare minimum. So I grew up being an aspirational child wanting to see better and do better.
0: And as you were able to gain education, and I love that you were a dreamer. I mean, I wish I was still a dreamer today. There's so much hope in that. There's so much joy in that. So as we become adults, we lose that part of our childhood, but it's something that's so endearing. What would you like most for people to know about South African women today? And I don't know if I need to add to that Black South African women.
3: I think that maybe you should say Black South African women because there's just a little bit of a difference in terms of our experiences because of our history in South Africa. There's a development and opportunity difference between a white woman and a Black woman. But I'll start generally to say what you should remember about women generally in South Africa is that they're resilient, they're strong, and they are fun-loving, and they want to make our country a great place and they do do that and specifically about black women is that black women unfortunately still bear the brunt of our challenges that we face as a country we do find that poverty does bear a feminine face in south africa and Africa specifically and that unfortunately bears the feminine back face in terms of the poverty and the unemployment and the inequality that women face. But through it all, South African women are resilient and they do everything with a smile and they shine. Well, they certainly do. And I have had some
0: wonderful experiences, relationships with South African women and specifically Black South African women and connected with some wonderful communities as well. And all of what you said is absolutely true. I want to thank you so much for joining me today. What an honor and a pleasure.
3: Thank you so much, Yvonne, for this opportunity. And it's lovely to reconnect with you. And please pass my greetings to all my friends in Chicago, the city which I will always love, which I carry in my heart. We'll certainly do that. Thanks again.